Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 121. Today's big Bible question, what are Christians called to do for each other daily? We're also going to be talking about the perseverance of the saints, and this is part one and maybe a three or four part episode, but it's going to be spread out over the next couple of weeks, so not all at once. Happy Tuesday to you, my friends. Today, we are celebrating the birthday of the most famous writer in the history of the state of Alabama. Yes, I'm talking about Harper to Kill a Mockingbird Lee. Fun fact, no mockingbirds are actually killed during that book. Jay Leno, Jessica Alba also have birthdays today. So, happy birthday to you, Jessica. I'm sure you're a listener to the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's Bible readings include Numbers chapter 5, Psalms 39, Song of Songs 3, and Hebrews chapter 3. Our focus question of the day comes from the middle verses of Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, which says, Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be any in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. That's Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. Hebrews 3, 13 has long struck me as an incredibly important command in Scripture. That is to say that we daily encourage each other. But it's a command that the church doesn't really practice regularly enough. Now, we've got to hear this command. We've got to follow it honestly now more than ever. I mean, why? Well, in a world where the plague hides around every corner and people are prisoners in their homes, cowering in fear, anger, or both. Okay, I felt like that was a bit of a new movie announcement. But, you know, with all that what's going on right now, brothers and sisters, we need to be daily encouraging each other now more than ever. We've always needed to be do th- doing this, but now more than ever, we've got to daily encourage each other by phone, by text, by FaceTime, by Zoom, by smoke signal, by telegraph, telegram, telefriend, whatever, by any and all means necessary. We have got to be about the intentional daily business of encouraging each other. And it's a crucial command. And we're going to see that it's not simply about just giving somebody a cheer up or a pat on the back. This is actually kind of a life or death situation if I am understanding the context of this passage in Hebrews correctly. So let's read the whole thing and then come back and discuss. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household, and we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 
40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality we had at the start. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for forty years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So the key word for the day is encourage, but the Greek word that's used there is honestly not exactly the same as our word for encourage. It has a wider range of meaning, and it's important for us to understand that. The Greek word is the word parakaleo. One of the names for the Holy Spirit is the paraclete, and, and these two words are very similar. Parakaleo means to be called to one side. So the Holy Spirit is walking, called by Jesus to walk beside Christians. And when we're called to encourage each other daily, it's a walking beside each other. It's a very active kind of verb. It implies being near somebody. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 5, 4, when he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, or they will be parakaleoed. So the word has an aspect of comforting, but also an aspect of encouraging somebody and also an aspect of like beseeching or asking somebody, like strongly asking somebody. And I think the context of the overall passage here in Hebrews 3 helps to illuminate what the Word of God is calling us to and why it's so important. Hebrews, which is very similar to First and Second Thessalonians, which we just read a couple of weeks ago, is written to a group of believers who are being tempted by trials, tribulations, and persecutions to turn away from Jesus. One of the Bible antidotes that is prescribed for us when we are weary and ready to quit is this ministry of daily encouragement slash beseeching slash comforting. Now, here's the thing. We all need it. It's not a weakness to require daily encouragement, beseeching, and comforting any more than it is a weakness to require daily vitamins, minerals, water, air, protein, etc. We were designed by our Creator to not function well or properly without this daily ministry of encouragement, beseeching, and comforting. So where does the beseeching part come in? And I could say the word begging, but when I say begging, you probably think of somebody asking for money. It's not that kind of thing. It's a strong asking of a question. And where does that part of this ministry of daily encouragement come in? So it's it's a good question. Are you a wrestling fan? I'm not actually talking about entertainment-style wrestling, though I did grow up a big fan of the WWF and WWE, and I know not to call it fake wrestling. I'm talking about real wrestling, though, the kind that you do in high school and college. I believe the beseeching part of Parakaleo can be compared to a fan 
or family member of a particular wrestler that is watching the action on the mat. They're watching their person just about to get pinned by their opponent, and they're shouting encouragement to them to keep going. Don't give up. You can do it. Get off the mat. We all need to give that ministry of daily encouragement, parakaleo, comfort, beseeching to each other, and we all need to receive that ministry of daily encouragement, parakaleo, comforting, beseeching from each other. The fact is, you never know when somebody feels like they are about to be pinned, like they're about to give up. Honestly, when I'm feeling that way, I don't tell people. Maybe I'll tell them a month or two later or a year or two later in a sermon illustration, but when I'm ready to quit and I'm worn out, I'm going to keep it quiet. And most people, I don't know, most people, a lot of people are like that. So you're not going to know if somebody's about ready to throw in the towel or just they just are just suffering. And that's why we're called to give this spiritual medicine of parakaleoing each other, encouraging, comforting, beseeching each other every, every, every day. Because that kind of ministry is a necessity in the body of Christ to keep us all going forward and overcoming. Now, you may be wondering why I called this a matter of life or death earlier. I can assure you, I'm not engaging in hyperbole. One of the very thorny issues that is raised by the book of Hebrews, beginning in this chapter and expanded on in several other chapters, is the issue of apostasy or falling away or turning away from salvation. Can a Christian lose their salvation? Is once saved always saved true? Now that's a question we're going to explore in depth over the next two weeks or so. I believe the Bible teaches something that many call the perseverance of the saints, It's not exactly the same as once saved, always saved. I think that's a very flippant uh, term to use, once saved, always saved. I far more prefer the term perseverance of the saints. And it's the view that a truly saved Christian will not ever lose salvation. But I'm going to be honest with you. That view is a difficult one to hold in light of all of the sobering warnings in the book of Hebrews about falling away. And that's one of the reasons why the body of Christ seems to be so, like almost 50-50 split between thinking it is possible to lose your salvation and it is possible to not lose their salvation. The fact is, I have seen people hold so tightly to once saved, always saved, or the perseverance of the saints, that they practically nullify any impact that the warning passages of Hebrews 3, 6, 10, and other passages in the Bible might have. And I think that's a danger. When the Bible warns us strongly about something, and Hebrews 3, 6, and 10 are written to be sober and scary warnings about turning away from Jesus, I believe that we need to preserve the strength and the level of those warnings because I believe that's being faithful to God's word. We don't want to water down warnings. We don't want to minimize encouragements either. And and that's really important. And, and, and on the other hand, I have seen people so overemphasize the warning passages in Hebrews that they way underemphasize the saving and preserving power of God. And in turn, while doing that, they also inflate the role of man in his own salvation by saying or implying something like, the only way you'll be saved is if you hold tight to the rope of salvation in your own power and strength and never let go. 
Now, I concur with the idea that if preserving my salvation was all up to me and my power to be faithful, I'd be doomed. If I could fumble away my salvation like a football, I would do it. In fact, I would have already done it by now. But I believe the teaching of the Bible is that God is the one who preserves those who are his. Yes, as we're going to see today, we must hold firmly to the truths we have been taught. We must persevere in them, but it is the grip of God and his grip strength that is the deciding factor in my salvation and not my own grip strength. Now, we're going to dive deeply into these issues in future episodes. Uh, Like I said earlier, it'll be a three to five part series on the perseverance of the saints, but they're not going to all be back to back. Instead, we're going to discuss them as we get to each of the warning passages in Hebrews. So stay tuned for that. For now, Let's close by strongly taking heed to the truth we see in Hebrews 3.14, which in the CSB says, We have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. The ESV says, For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Many Christians and churches emphasize making a one-time decision for Christ, and it is all about the fact that we have decided to follow Jesus. Now, that's great, and I want to preach so that people will follow Jesus for sure. But in my preaching and teaching, I try to put much less emphasis on the I have decided part and much more emphasis on the follow Jesus part. The Christian life is not about making a one-time decision in a moment of time that gives you fire insurance for all of eternity any more than marriage is all about saying, I do, at the altar in the church. And then you just sit back and reap the rewards of your one-time decision to say, I do. Instead, following Jesus is about holding firmly from beginning to end. That's why he tells people to follow him. Or, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-3, he says, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So there's a apparently... A, and, and we're going to get into this in much more detail, but you look in Mark 4 when Jesus explains the parable of the seeds. There is a, a way of believing in Jesus for a moment, and it's like a seed that sprouts up really quickly and then dies. It's not a saving belief. You hear a message, you're excited about it, you know, you practically run down the altar, but you're not following Jesus, you're just pumped in a moment. And according to 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 through 3 and Hebrews 3, 6 and 10, that kind of decision that's made with a snap and lasts a day or an hour or a week or something like really short like that, that is not what is meant by following Jesus. You know, just like maybe... Uh, all of a sudden, you might say who your favorite football team is, and is, and then next week your your favorite team is a different team, or your favorite movie, and next week is your diff- different favorite movie. I don't know; those are lame illustrations, but hopefully, you get the gist of what I'm saying. Paul makes it clear, Hebrews makes it clear that it's all about following Jesus. Right? Hebrews ten twenty three puts it this way: Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. So it's about following, and we're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks as we go through Hebrews. Hebrews is 
I, I got to tell you, when I first started reading Hebrews when I was a teenager or however old I was, I thought it was the most confusing book in the Bible. And there's still a lot of things in Hebrews that aren't immediately clear. Uh, and and I, I guess I didn't like it. It wasn't straightforward enough to me. There were weird things in there that I didn't fully understand. Uh, but over the years, the more I've read through Hebrews and even preached a series on it uh, a few years ago, the more it has become one of my favorite books. It's so powerful. It's so Jesus focused. I just love it. And I'm really looking forward to reading through it, uh, with reading it through with you guys over the next couple of weeks. So hang on and stand firm in that, uh, waiting, following Jesus, standing firm in the, the, the faith that he's giving us, it, holding fast to the message that was preached to us so that we won't have believed in vain. All right, let's go to Numbers chapter 5, verse 1 in the CSB. The Lord instructed Moses, command the Israelites to send away anyone from the camp who is afflicted with a skin disease, anyone who has a discharge, or anyone who is defiled because of a corpse. Send away both male or female, send them outside the camp so that they will not defile their camps where I dwell among them. The Israelites did this, sending them outside the camp. The Israelites did as the Lord instructed Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites, when a man or woman commits a sin against another, that person acts unfaithfully towards the Lord and is guilty. The person is to confess the sin he has committed. He is to pay the full compensation, add a fifth of its value to it, and give it to the individual he has wronged. But if that individual has no relative to receive compensation, the compensation goes to the Lord for the priest, along with the atonement ram, by which the priest will make atonement for the guilty person. Every holy contribution the Israelites present to the priest will be his. Each one's holy contribution is his to give. What each one gives to the priest will be his. The Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, if any man's wife goes astray, is unfaithful to him and sleeps with another, but it is concealed from her husband and she is undetected, even though she has defiled herself, since there's no witness against her and she wasn't caught in the act, and if a Feeling of jealousy comes over the husband and he becomes jealous because of his wife who has defiled herself. Or if a feeling of jealousy comes over him and he becomes jealous of her though she has not defiled herself, then the man is to bring his wife to the priest. He is also to bring an offering for her of two quarts of barley flour. He is not to pour oil over it or put frankincense over it because it is a grain offering of jealousy, a grain offering for the remembrance to draw attention to guilt. The priest is to bring her forward and have her stand before the Lord. Then the priest is to take holy water in a clay bowl, take some of the dust from the tabernacle floor and put it in the water. After the priest has the the woman stand before the Lord, he is to let down her hair and place in her hands the grain offering for her remembrance, which is the grain offering of jealousy. The priest is to hold the bitter water that brings a curse. The priest will require the woman to take an oath and will say to her, If no man has slept with you, if you have not gone astray and become defiled while under your husband's authority, be unaffected by this bitter water that brings a curse. But if you have gone astray while under your husband's authority, if you have defiled yourself in a man other than your husband has slept with you, at this point the priest will make the woman take the oath with the sworn curse, and he is to say to her, May the Lord make you into an object of your people's cursing and swearing when he makes your womb shrivel and your belly swell. May this water that brings a curse enter your stomach, causing your belly to swell and your womb to shrivel. And the woman will reply, Amen, Amen. 
Then the priest is to write these curses on a scroll and wash them off into the bitter water. He will require the woman to drink the bitter water that brings a curse, and it will enter her to cause bitter suffering. The priest is to take the grain offering of jealousy from the woman, present the offering before the Lord, and bring it to the altar. The priest is to take a handful of the grain offering as a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. Afterward, he will require the woman to drink the water. When he makes her drink the water, if she has defiled herself and been unfaithful to her husband, the water that brings a curse will enter her to cause bitter suffering. Her belly will swell and her womb will shrivel. She will become a curse among her people. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is pure, she will be unaffected and will be able to conceive children. This is the law regarding jealousy. When a wife goes astray and defiles herself while under her husband's authority, or when a feeling of jealousy comes over a husband and he becomes jealous of his wife, he is to have the woman stand before the Lord, and the priest will carry out all these instructions to her. The husband will be free of guilt, but that woman will bear her iniquity. Psalm 39, verse 1. I said, I will guard my way, so that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle, as long as the wicked are in my presence. I was speechless and quiet. I kept silent, even from speaking good, and my pain intensified. My heart grew hot within me. As I mused, a fire burned. I spoke with my tongue, Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days so that I will know how short-lived I am. In fact, you have made my days just inches long and my lifespan is as nothing to you. Yes, every human being stands as only a vapor. Yes, a person goes about like a mere shadow. Indeed, they rush around in vain, gathering possessions without knowing who will get them. Now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Rescue me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the taunt of fools. I am speechless. I do not open my mouth because of what you have done. Remove your torment from me. Because of the force of your hand, I am finished. You discipline a a person with punishment for iniquity, consuming like a moth what is precious to him. Yes, every human being is only a vapor. Selah. Hear my prayer, Lord, and listen to my cry for help. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am here with you as an alien, a temporary resident like all my ancestors. Turn your angry gaze from me, so that I may be cheered up before I die and am gone. Song of Songs, chapter 3, verse 1. In my bed at night I sought the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. I will arise now and go about the city, though the streets and through the streets and the plazas. I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but did not find him. The guards who go about the city found me, and I asked them, Have you seen the one I love? I just passed them when I found the one I loved. I held on to him and would not let him go, until I brought him to my mother's house, to the chamber of the one who conceived me. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you, by the gazelles and the wild does of the field, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. Who is this, coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, scented with myrrh and frankincense from every fragrant powder of the merchant. Look, Solomon's bed, surrounded by sixty warriors from the mighty men of Israel, all of them are skilled with swords and trained in warfare. Each has his guard at his side to guard against the terror of the night. King Solomon made a carriage for himself with wood from Lebanon. He made its posts of silver, its back of gold, and its seat of purple. Its interior is inlaid with love by the young women of Jerusalem. Go out, young women of Zion, and gaze at King Solomon, wearing the crown his mother placed on him on the day of his wedding, the day of his heart's rejoicing. Well, brothers and sisters, I hope and pray that the word of God has been edifying for you today 
and a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine on you. May he do good to you and draw you close to him. In Jesus' name, good day to you and Godspeed.